doing a little research this week on fear, appropriately enough, don't you think? And uh, I stumbled across this, and I thought you might appreciate it. Four questions that put fear into the heart of a man. Question number one, what you thinking? <laughs> the proper response, of course, would be, I'm sorry if I've been pensive, dear. I was just reflecting on what a warm, wonderful, thoughtful, caring, intelligent woman you are and how lucky I am to have met you. Examples of inappropriate responses would be football. How much prettier she is than you. How I would spend the insurance money if you died. <laughs> Question number two. Do you love me? The proper response, of course, would be yes. And if you wanted to give a really detailed response, you could say something like, yes, dear. Examples of inappropriate responses would be, would it make you feel better if I said yes? Who, me? <laughs> Question number three. Does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> that strike the fear in the heart of any man, wouldn't it? The uh, correct answer, of course, is an emphatic, of course not. In example, uh, examples of inappropriate responses would be, compared to what? <laughs> or, uh, could you repeat the question? I was just thinking about how I would spend the insurance money if you died. <laughs> question number four. Do you think she's prettier than me? In, it, proper response would be, of course not. Incorrect responses would be, uh, yes, but you have a better personality. Or, well, not as pretty as you were when you were her age. <laughs> or, define pretty. Or, how about, could you repeat the question? I was just thinking about how I would spend the insurance money <laughs> if you died. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. <laughs> uh, the reality is we all deal with fear, don't we? Fear strikes into the heart of every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet. We all deal with it. And the question is, how are you going to cope with the fear that you're dealt? Now, we've been speaking for the last several weeks about this issue of living fearlessly and how we can embrace the life that God has for us in the midst of constant fear. Every one of us deal with fear. Some of us deal with fear that's right there in our faces. And some of you, you deal with fear in such a way that you have to conquer that fear every waking moment of your life. Other people deal with fear in such a way that it's kind of subtle. And sometimes you're not even aware that the fear is there until you're confronted with that fear. Sometimes just the conversation is enough to stir things up to you in your mind and you realize, or your heart, and you realize that you're dealing with some sort of fear. We've talked about things like fear of failure, fear of not being significant or not mattering. Last week we had quite a memorable message on the fear of life's final days. One probably most of you won't forget anytime soon if you were here last week. This week we're going to top, uh, tackle a, a rather tough subject. It's the fear of global calamity. Now, if I were to have polled you earlier this week and asked you to list for me your top five or perhaps your top ten fears, I'm guessing this might not have made your list. And yet I think as we go down through the facts today and take a look at it, 
we all probably do have a certain amount of fear about the potential for global calamity and how that has the, the uh, potential to impact our lives. And if we don't have any kind of concern for global calamity, perhaps we should, based upon some of the factual evidence that I'm going to present for you today. And then we need to take a look at how we can respond to this particular issue because whether we say that it's at the forefront of our mind and the forefront of our own personal experience, it is something that I think bears our attention and uh, bears that, that we give it uh, its due diligence. Catastrophe dominates our day. The real question here is, will it dominate you? So we're going to begin today our study by looking in the book of Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Words will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. I want to set this up for you just a little bit. Jesus is with His disciples. He's been teaching quite a lot. And the disciples have come to Him and they've asked Him, Jesus, what's it going to be like when you finally come of age, when you finally come into your kingdom? What's the end of all of this going to be? Keep in mind, the disciples had in, in their mind the idea of an earthly kingdom. That's what they were expecting Jesus to set up and establish, the rule and reign in an earthly kingdom. They didn't yet get it that Jesus in all of His conversation, is talking about a spiritual kingdom. And that's what Jesus' goal was and that's what, that's what He taught about. So they're still in the process of, of uh, g- gaining their understanding of all this. So when they ask Him, tell us what the end of it's all about, they think they're getting a worldly response, an earthly response, and Jesus is giving to them a spiritual response. But there's some earthly overtones to it. So listen to this. In, in uh, verse 4 of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in My name claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. I'm going to repeat that phrase. Jesus said to the the disciples, such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. If I had a medical condition and I needed to get evaluated and diagnosed, I would go to a doctor. And the doctor would do an evaluation on me and he would come back to me with a diagnosis. If I truly have some sort of condition that requires treatment, the last thing I want is for the doctor to sugarcoat the truth. The last thing I want is for the doctor to lie to me and not give it to me straight. When I go to the doctor, I need the doctor, as painful as the news may be, I need the doctor to come back to me and say, this is what is going on. There's stuff happening inside my body. I don't understand. I don't know. The doctor can help me realize that. Shoot, me, shoot it to me straight, doc. We all can understand that. But when it comes to things of a spiritual nature or of an eternal nature, we don't always want it that way. We would prefer that when we come to a place like this, we kind of sugarcoat the truth and make it all tasty and comfortable. Don't make anybody feel uncomfortable. Don't get edgy in your seat. Don't 
uh, don't have to think about things that you don't want to think about. Truth is, I don't want to have these conversations about wars and rumors of wars and famine and plague and earthquake. I don't really want to talk about global calamity. It's not the kind of thing that I'm excited about. And yet, we need to take a look at it. Last night about 8 o'clock, I jumped on the Internet. And I just very quickly, in about 10 minutes, I went out and grabbed the headlines. Didn't give a lot of research into this, a lot of thought. But here are, the, here are six headlines that I just grabbed. Boom, boom, boom. We put them up on screen for you just to give you an idea about today, right now, what we're dealing with. Mudslides in L.A. have the a possibility of knocking out lots of homes. I don't know how many. A blizzard in D.C. that they're calling Snowmageddon. It's probably a little over the top. Those of you that have seen snow before, I mean, snow, snow, and snow melts. But there's a lot of people without power right now. And if you were the one in underneath three feet of snow and you didn't have any power, you would think this was a pretty serious blizzard. Serious, serious effects, serious consequences for this sort of thing. Um, swine flu. The swine flu is still out there. They're saying that, that it seems to have subsided some. But the experts are saying there's a good possibility that thing's going to come back around. And when it comes around, it's going to be stronger than it was the first time. Now, I, I don't know, but whether it's the swine flu or some sort of other epidemic or pandemic, the potential is there. The potential is there for that to come and hit and hit hard and hit fast and wipe out a whole bunch of people. There's also a story there about our national debt. Do you know that if we continue, and I'm not making a political statement here, I'm giving you factual information. If we continue on the path that we're on right now, ten years from now, our debt will equal our gross domestic product which means that 100% of everything that Americans produce 10 years from now will go to pay debt. Do you understand that doesn't work? I mean, that's, that doesn't take a math degree. We're, we're in serious straits there. There's now intensity building in Haiti for people to get out of the country. They've just gone through a terrible, terrible tragedy down there. The earthquake that Jesus spoke about. Here's one of them right here. You're just walking along and suddenly the earth begins to shake, open up in front of you, and buildings collapse and people die. And you can't do anything about it. And now, part of what they're dealing with is people are competing with one another for ways to get out of the country. And the, the mess continues to intensify in Haiti. Then finally, I grabbed a story there about an underground fire in Pennsylvania. It's a coal mine that's been on fire for years. Basically ruined a whole town. Shut them down. Burned them out. They can't stop it. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues, devastation. i got to tell you, much as we don't want to have this conversation, the truth is that, well, let me just give you a list of other things that could come along. Global implication. Think about this. Earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, economic collapse, climate change, wildfires, nuclear holocaust, terrorism, wars, typhoons, pandemics, drought, ethnic cleansing, plagues. The list could go on and on. The truth, folks, is that things are bad. I know you didn't want to hear that today. But things are bad. If I'm going to be honest with you about the current state of affairs, not sugarcoat it, and not lie to you to make you feel good, I've got to tell you that things are bad. Now, 
please understand, I'm fully aware when you got up this morning, you didn't turn over to your wife and say, hey, honey, let's go to church today so they can tell us how lousy our lives are. (laughs) I know that wasn't in your game plan today. I'm sure that's not how the morning went down at your house. I'm well aware that that's not necessarily what you came looking for. And yet, today I'm a messenger of truth. And if I'm going to present this topic to you and not give you truth, then I'm deceiving you. Jesus Himself said in John 16.33, In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus promised us that in this world, you will have trouble. And I know some of you have and are experiencing personal trouble. And I know that also there is a world culture all around us that's ever creeping in upon us that brings with it trouble, calamity, tragedy. Somebody after first service called me Debbie Downer. I don't, I don't want to be Danny Downer today or Debbie Downer for you. But we have to deal with facts, okay? We have to deal with truth. And we're going to hang with me. We're going to go beyond this. But the first thing we've got to do is we've got to embrace this. this in this world, you will have trouble. Because if we don't embrace it, where do we end up? With our head in the sand? What good does that do us? It doesn't do us any good to stick our head in the sand. It doesn't solve anything. Living in denial is just as bad as living in fear. It's not taking us beyond. It's not taking us to the place that we need to be. The University of Michigan in 1990 conducted a study asking people what their thought was on the future, the hope for the future. And in 1990, the respondents came back in excess of 70% with a positive hope for the future. In 2009, just last year, University of Michigan conducted that same study again. And this time, the response was less than 20% of people had a positive outlook for the future. You see, what I'm telling you is not just reading through some news clips and me giving you some Debbie Downers. What, What I'm telling you is indicative of what people are feeling across our culture. There is a, an ever-increasing lack of hope or hopelessness and fear that is settling in on, on people. I don't know how you're going to deal with it. I hope I know, but I don't know. The truth is, as I tell you that things are bad right now, I have to continue on and tell you that things are going to get worse. (laughs) You know, when I'm preparing this message, I'm thinking, I really don't want to go here. I really don't want to go stand in front of these people or sit in front of these people and have this conversation and say, it's bad right now. The reality is it's going to get worse. But I want you to know that's a reality that's fact. Do you know that this year, in 2009, organization that monitors worldwide these events came back and said that last year in 2009 there were 165,000 people worldwide 
that were martyred or executed simply because of their Christian faith. Because they chose to be a Christ follower, 165,000 people died. For no other reason. Let's look at what Jesus said. Go back to Matthew 24. We'll continue to read what He said. Picking up in verse 9. See, because before He talked about kingdom against kingdom, wars and rumors and wars, earthquakes, plagues, famine, things that didn't seem quite so personal, but now it kind of turns personal. Verse 9, He says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of Me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's not painting a very pretty picture, is it? It's not, it, 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 it's not, I'm not giving you any warm fuzzies, am I? Jesus wasn't either. He wasn't giving warm fuzzies out. He was turning this personal. Have you noticed that nobody has hired me to do their marketing? <laughs> I'm not presenting a very good case for the cause here, am I? I feel like I'm trying to sell gas pedals in a Toyota dealership or something. What I'm presenting to you is not positive. It doesn't give us the warm fuzzies. It, it's not something that we necessarily want to hear. But you've got to hang with me. My father-in-law um, listens. He lives with us, and he every Saturday night he listens to Lawrence Welk. You older folks will know what that's all about. And last night, while he was listening to Lawrence Welk, I could hear in the other part of the house the Lawrence Welk singers singing, "I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden." You see, here's what I think happened. I think somewhere along the way, somebody tried to sell you a bill of goods and tell you, you know what, if you'll sign up for this Jesus thing, if you'll just jump on the bandwagon with this Christ-following thing, piece of cake. It's going to be a cakewalk, going to be a, a bed of roses. You won't have any trouble. You won't have any problems. Life's going to be good. It's all good. Come on, join up with us Jesus folk. Somebody told you that. They lied to you. And I want to apologize on their behalf. Because that's not the reality of what the Christian walk, walking with Christ, is all about. The reality of walking with Christ is that you will have trouble. There will be persecution. Matter of fact, go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. Look at that verse again. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But, but, see to it that you are not alarmed. He says, such things must happen. I repeated that earlier. Such things must happen. Jesus recognized that, that these things, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues, all the pestilence, all these things, they must happen. It's part of the human experience. But, but see to it that you are not alarmed. And then He says, but the end is yet to come. The end is still to come. You know what the difference between major surgery and minor surgery is? Minor surgery is when anybody else is having surgery. Major surgery is when you're having surgery. Right? 
What we're talking about here is something that's very personal. We're talking about something that we don't necessarily want to talk about, we don't necessarily want to embrace. But here's where the story starts to turn just a little bit. Because if we're going to look at God's Word, if we're going to look at the Bible and read it for truth and extract truth from it, then we have to take the whole counsel of truth of God's Word. And we have to look at what was said. But you should not be alarmed. The end is still to come. In his book, Good to Great, the author Jim Collins interviewed Admiral James Stockdale. Admiral James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for eight years. Eight years he was held captive. This is the, an extract from the uh, interview. After Stockdale's release, Collins asked him how in the world he survived eight years in the prisoner of war camp. He replied, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Collins then asked, well, who didn't make it out? Admiral Stockdale replied, oh, that's easy. The optimists. They were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we'll be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving And then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. Real courage embraces the twin realities of current difficulty and ultimate triumph. Yes, life stinks, but it won't forever. As one of my friends likes to say, everything will work out in the end. If it's not working out, it's not the end. You're dealing with difficulties in your life. And on the horizon, you're blind as a bat. If they're really blind. You're blind if you don't see global difficulties coming. But I'm not here today to give you a downer. I'm here today to give you hope. Listen to what he says again. Real courage embraces the twin realities of current current difficulty and ultimate triumph. Current difficulty, ultimate triumph, both are real. Twin realities. Real courage embraces both of them simultaneously. We cannot deny what God wants to do in our lives. Now, you have this information now. What are you going to do with it? See, you're, you're now confronted with the challenge. On the one hand, you could be Pollyanna, optimistic, everything's great. Don't think anything bad. Only think good thoughts. Life is wonderful. On the other hand, you could be chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Doom and gloom. And the truth is, most of us walk out of here, if we're not careful, in one of those two camps. We say, I don't even care about that stuff. Just get me back to next week. Maybe it'll be better next week. Or you'll walk out saying, good grief, that was such a downer. I ain't never going back to that place. I don't think either one of these represent the biblical response to the information that we've just been confronted with. I think the biblical response is more along the lines of what Admiral Stockdale said. Real courage embraces the twin realities of current difficulties and ultimate triumph. And so I think it's time now that we turn our attention to 
some of the ultimate triumph. Let's formulate our response in a logical way. And let's do it using these three concepts. Fear, or facts, fear, and faith. Now the facts I just presented to you. I believe the stuff that we've talked about is factual. And it's stuff that we ought to acknowledge. We ought to recognize. We've got to know that it's there. Don't put our head in the sand and turn away. But now we've got to deal with fear. You see, the whole backdrop of this study is fear. What do we do with the fear of this global calamity or whatever it is that may be out there? We've got to deal with the fear. <clears throat> fear itself is controllable. And I, for me, it helps, it helps tremendously for me to recognize the source of fear. Here's what the Bible has to say about fear. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 says, Fear is not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The source of fear is not God. If you deal with or struggle with fear in your life, the most important thing you can do is acknowledge that that did not come from God. That fear is not sourced from the throne of heaven. That fear is sourced in other places. And then you use the other three portions of that verse to combat that fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. This is what God did give us a spirit of. Power, love, and a sound mind. That's godly. When God's at work in our lives, we have a spirit of power upon us. When God's at work in our lives, we have a spirit of love upon us. God kind of love. When God's at work in our lives, we have the, the spirit of a sound mind upon us. That's God at work in our lives. That's the evidence of God working in us. That's the source that, that comes from God. Perhaps we can state it just a little bit differently. I want you to repeat this phrase with me because I think it's the same, it's the same scriptural context um, concept, but I want you to get it in your brain. Repeat this with me. Fear of the unknown is conquered by faith in the unseen. Let's say it together. Fear of the unknown is conquered by faith in the unseen. One more time. Fear of the unknown is conquered by faith of the unseen. Whatever fear it is that you're struggling with, the fear of the unknown, it can be overcome with one thing. Faith in the unseen. Now, here's the reality. We all have faith. When I'm afraid, I have faith in my inability to overcome whatever it is that I see out there. What is it that you're putting your faith in? And I want to say to you today, that's really the crux of the matter. You see, we're, we are confronted today with the potential to use the greatest weapon that we have against fear, and that is the weapon of faith. But in order to get that, We've got to have some understanding. What is faith? According to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the Bible, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Faith is the substance of what we hope for. Faith is the reality that we don't yet know. We're, we're, we're experiencing a reality in faith that we can't necessarily see. The evidence of things that aren't yet seen. That's faith. The question is, how do you get faith? 
The Bible's very clear about that in Romans 10. It says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So the key to all of this is if you want to get, if you want to conquer fear in your life, it's, it's just as clear as can be in the Bible. God's Word, put to work, allowed to be planted as a seed in your heart, will grow and drive fear out of you. Because what happens is when God's Word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. When the Word of God gets planted in you, it grows and the power, love, and the sound mind is able to manifest itself or reveal itself in your life. Faith overcomes fear. Faith of the unknown is conquered by, or fear of the unknown is conquered by faith in the unseen. This is a critical point for us. And I want you to get a hold of this in your heart and your life so that you don't have to deal with fear. Folks, there's, I know we all struggle with fear. But when we struggle with fear, we are putting our faith in something that's not accurate. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in God's Word. Put your faith in God's power. Put your faith in God's ability to overcome. In Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet Isaiah speaks the Word of the Lord to the people of Israel. The people of Israel in the Old Testament represent us, the Christ followers. So here's what the prophet Isaiah says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, You're Jacob. You're Israel. Okay? He who created you, He who formed you, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, let me throw in a little commentary here. When you pass through the waters, not if you pass through the waters. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. This is God speaking to you. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Not if you pass through the rivers, because you surely will. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, not if. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God wants you to know. God spoke it through His prophet and had it recorded in His, in His written Word. He wants you to know He's on your side. He never promised to snatch you out of trouble. He never promised to do that. But He did promise that He would be with you through the trouble. Now, you remember John 16.33? I took you to that verse earlier. We talked about Jesus saying, in this world you will have trouble. But let's get the before and after The rest of that verse, because I only gave you one phrase out of that verse. Here's the rest of the picture, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I told, why did Jesus even bring this topic up? Here's why. Because I want you to have peace. Jesus said, the reason I'm having this conversation with you is so that later on you get down the road, you don't look back at me and say, you never told me that. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you it's not going to be easy. But I'm telling you that so that in me, you can have peace. In me, you can have peace. 
In this world, you will have trouble. Make no mistake about it. Oh, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart, child of God. Take heart, Christ follower. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I don't care how bad it is out there. Jesus said, I've overcome it. And you want to know the evidence of that? You see, the world was convinced that they had taken Jesus out of the knees. As a matter of fact, the world's picture of Jesus is Him hanging on a cross, dead, powerless to fight back. Well, all kinds of you did good things. You did nice, nice work here while you were walking around on earth. But I guess you really couldn't handle anything because you're dead, buddy. We crucified you. We hung you on a cross like a common criminal. As a matter of fact, we took you down from that cross and we stuck you in a tomb. So just shut up about all your God stuff, okay? And then three days later, Jesus, under His own power, rose from the dead. Jesus conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered this world. Folks, this is the fundamental of the faith that we believe. This is not a bedtime fairy tale story. This is not a a, a feel-good Dr. Seuss book. This is the fundamental of the faith that we live our lives by. Jesus Christ conquered sin, death, and the world. Jesus said, take heart because I have overcome the world. And though you walk through the fire, don't worry. You won't be consumed. I'll be with you. You see, as we take an honest look at the calamity that's on the horizon out there, we really have no choice but to look honestly at who Christ is and who He wants to be in our lives and how we're supposed to embrace Him and allow Him to be Christ, to be God in us. Oh, how He wants it to be. I don't know what kind of personal problems that you've been through in the past. I don't know what kind of personal problems you're dealing with now. What kind of intensity that you may be confronted with. But I can tell you this, God promised in His Word that He would never allow a Christ follower to go through something that He wasn't equipped to handle in Christ. It's a promise from God's Word. He did not promise that it would be easy. He did not promise that it would always be pleasant and warm fuzzies. But He did promise joy and victory. And you know, beyond that, He promised eternity. Eternity with Him. And what we deal with, what we face right now, is but a small blip. It's just a small blip on the screen. Because when this is done, we've got eternity to spend with Him. God is who He said He is, He's sovereign. He's got it all under control. I was reminded earlier this week about the little song we used to sing. He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole world in His hands. And if we'll simply put our faith in Him and not in ourselves, He didn't promise to take us out. He promised to take us through. And He'd be there with us. Let's pray. God, 
I don't really like to have these kind of conversations. I don't really like to think about all of that heavy stuff. And yet, God, I really like to focus and concentrate on who You are. And what a, what a great contrast to the doom and gloom to know that You are Almighty God. Jesus, You are the Son of God. And as the Son of God, You have all power. And when You speak, things happen. Your Word is true. Your heart is noble and right. Your heart toward us is all good. God, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for Your protection for us. Thank You for Your companionship as You take us forward. We place our faith, our hope, our trust in You and in You alone. Thank You, God. In Christ's name.